Welcome, friend. We are so glad you've joined us to listen in as ordinary people share their extraordinary stories of how one man changed their lives forever. No two stories are the same, yet it's our hope that you'll relate enough to want to meet the same man all our listeners have met. Listen as my friends tell me about a man that gave them hope and love beyond their wildest imaginations. Clay Allison, welcome to the Tell Me About a Man podcast. Thank you. We are so glad you're here on this Sunday afternoon. Appreciate you taking some time out of your, is it your only day off? No, no, I usually take off weekends too, uh, or Saturdays as well. So okay, it's good. Just, uh, this is uh, this is time well spent. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm excited about this time with you. Um, we, You've done some tile work for us, which yep. you're an amazing tiler. Um Tile, or is that the right name? Tile setter. Tile setter. Okay, <laughs> I like go. that better. But you are, no. my husband knows you and knows more of your story. And he said, hey, you need to get in contact with Clay. So he reached out to you and you said yes. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, so I'm excited to hear your story um, and really get into um, how you met a man who changed your life forever. So just to start off, I like to do a little icebreaker. Okay. Okay. Chips and salsa or chocolate cake? Oh, chips and salsa all day long. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I knew we could be friends. Okay. That's a good one. You passed that one. Yes. Thank um, you. What is something on your bucket list? Oh, man. I want Israel. I want to mm. set foot on Israel soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I want to walk where Jesus walked. I want to see the Sea of Galilee. I want I, that's something that my heart desires. It's good. It's yeah, good. Yeah, it's it, expensive. It is on mine also. So we can have chips and salsa in Israel together. How about amen, that? Amen. We we'll just speak that into existence. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so let's just get started. Um, because I, I think there's a lot to your story, and I just want to dig right in. Tell me a little bit about early childhood. Clay, growing up, where you come from, who you are, siblings, parents, all of that good stuff. <clears throat> okay. Um, I have an older brother, and then I have a half-sister. Um, my older brother, uh, he's three years older than I am. Um, and my dad and mom, which is, of course, his, <laughs> his, his dad and mom, divorced at age i was eight i think he was 11 so it was a pretty early childhood uh just come from a a divorced family and and remarriage into both sides and then i ended up with a half sister as well now she's probably 10 years younger than me maybe a little more she'll be quick to tell me if she hears this <laughs> exactly how many exactly years. but uh she knows yeah she knows but uh so i come from a, a basically a divorced uh, family background type situation. Uh, mom remarried and my, my dad remarried a couple of times. So, um, there was step siblings on both sides, numerous, (laughs) I won't count them all. There's a bunch, Mm. but, uh, but yeah, it was just a blended home. Gotcha. Blended family. Gotcha. So, which parent did you live with? I lived with my mom, uh, for most of the time at, at times I would, I stayed with dad. Um, by the time I was 16, 17 year old, I was I was on my own. Uh, I had basically got kicked out of one house and uh, really wouldn't have went to the other one. 
not necessarily that I wasn't welcome there. It was just I, I wouldn't live under that, I guess. Well, was that because you were a rebellious child or they were not a good influence and you knew you oh, needed no. better? No, no. It was just because I was a rebellious child mm. from, from early on, I think. Uh, you know, I don't. <laughs> I don't credit my my parents for my decisions. Mm. Like, I knew when I did wrong that I was doing wrong. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a, a question of that, but there was definitely a uh, spirit of defiance or rebellion early on, just behind. I think uh, everything. Did they try with you? Or where they were just like throw their hands up, more like he's impossible since the age of five. We're just no, he no, does it, whatever was, he wants. it wasn't like that. I mean, uh, me and my stepdad got into it at one time. Uh, I was probably 16, and that's when I left their house. And then me and my father, we're just a lot alike. Mm, yes, I understand <laughs> that. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't want to dishonor him in any way, shape, or form, or my mom because they both, I knew I was loved. Mm. Uh, but I was also very hard to love, you know. And Did uh, you know that in that time, or can you look back now and know that? No, I, I knew it at that time just because of, uh, like, I knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't a, oh, I screwed up and didn't know I was screwing up. Mm. Like, I was very conscious of, of, of knowing right and wrong. I I, I was brought up knowing right and wrong, mm. uh, and I chose to do the things I did. Now, a lot of it was out of rebellion, and it was out of rebellion towards my family and towards just um, authority. Mm. One, of the, <laughs> one of the things that probably um, had an influential part of it was my, my mom remarried, and when she did, she remarried a, a police officer. Mm. And it was just like, Okay, now all of a sudden I have not only an authority figure, but a, you know, a law enforcement, law. <laughs> <laughs> right, right? You know, and it was, and it wasn't that he was a bad influence by no means because he wasn't. He loved me very much, and uh, but it was also, it's a step parent, yeah. And it's a, and it was another. It was just a double up opportunity to rebel against authority. Mm-hmm. You know, he stood for not only authority of the home, but he also stood for authority in, in, the, in the civil world as well. Yeah. And I look back on that, and I can see where that had a part to play with mm-hmm. it, you know. Just having that rebellious spirit, just <clears throat> yes. a double double whammy of all the yeah, things that, that you wanted to rebel against. Eye, you know, exactly. it's really easy to hit. You know, so. so how um, rebellious did you get, and for how long? Oh, I started doing drugs. Um 16, 15, 16 years old, and probably started smoking pot earlier than that. Uh, by the time I was <clears throat> 17, I was I was strung out on methamphetamine. I was mm-hmm. living on my own. I was living on the, basically out of my friend's garage or just wherever I could sleep. It wasn't necessarily homelessness because I had a place. I just choose not to go there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, by the time I, I was 17, I was pretty much full-fledged in the drug game uh when i when i was arrested the first time for for uh selling drugs it was i turned 18 in the county jail Mm. and when i went in i weighed probably 155 pounds and you know i tell people when i went in they didn't arrest me they rescued me you know Mm -hmm. because that's what it was it Mm -hmm. was it was to the point of where 
I would not have stopped because I didn't know how. Like it was just, it was a, even if you was tired of it, even if you was fed up with it, the inability or the lack of knowledge of knowing where to go or knowing what to turn to, Mm. to help. It's just, you die for lack of knowledge. And that's Mm. where, that's where I was at. Mm. But, uh. Yeah, so the first time I ever went to jail, I, was, I turned 18 in there. I, I spent six weeks in a, in a solitary cell <clears throat> because they didn't have a juvenile center in the county that I, uh, I, I got arrested in. So that was to keep you safe, not necessarily because you were like a, a It was, a, a, they couldn't legally put me in with the adults uh because i was still a minor gotcha but they 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 also didn't have a minor facility so they just put me they just utilized a a solitary cell so for six weeks first time i ever went to jail six weeks in a cell (laughs) by myself how'd that go it was uh it was interesting um you know the the lord's really started to try to to reach me even there and just the deception had been sowed so deeply that even reading the Bible, I just didn't have an understanding of it. Okay, so that that's a good question. What was your image of God at, at 18 years old, leading up to even then? Who was God at that time to you? Didn't know him. Had you grown up ever? Like, I mean, we live in the South. Right. So, you know, God, country, America mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Bible Belt, USA. Right, bless right. your heart sort of thing. <laughs> but other than that, did you have any other knowledge of God? No, and 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 we didn't go to church. Like, I didn't. I, we, it, not that we never went to church. We didn't go to church regularly. But church was my grandparents' thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one side was was Southern Baptist on my dad's side; they were Southern Baptist. And the other side was, was Church of Christ, and uh, but we didn't go. Like every once in a while, we go. Mm-hmm. You know, but and so by the time I was eighteen years old, I was out on my own. I was a drug addict. I was basically homeless, and there was no God mm. because I couldn't see him. I couldn't feel him. I couldn't touching all the things that the flesh cries out for Mm. give me proof give me proof give me proof you know and uh he just wasn't real to me i mean he wasn't real to me because i didn't know him yeah what did what happened after those six weeks in solitaire i got out i ended up plea bargaining my first plea bargaining my first felony so that i like i never i turned 18 the day i turned 18 i was i had a felony um, for uh, possession with intent to distribute. Uh, I got out and I moved back to Lindsay uh, to go to finish my high school year because I ended up dropping out of high school. I'd gotten my GD, but I had the opportunity to go back and, and get my diploma and play football. And, oh, you know, so finish your senior year, kind of. Yeah, exactly. That was get that your was, stuff together. Right. It was just an opportunity to change places. And uh, so I went back, and, and I went back to school, and, and uh, there in Lindsay. And uh, if you're not ready to quit, it'll find you. Mm. Like it, and and this is this is for the people who who hear this. If you're not ready to quit, location doesn't matter. Mm. 
It's so powerful that you say that because we've heard people say, I moved my child to a different town and the same problem. Every yes. town is the same. And you're just like, maybe it's not the town. It's the spiritual part of it. Yeah. Like if you're open to it, if you're still, if you're still open to whatever it was, like for me, it was methamphetamine. It didn't matter. You were going to find it. It was almost like it found me. Mm. Like, you know, and once you've been into the game, like you, it's easy to spot. Like I can mm-hmm. drive through the neighborhoods now and say, okay, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, you don't paint your house at three o'clock in the morning, you know, with spotlights. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, there's the blatant in it, but you know, it's right. just, it's, if you're, n- if you're not ready. Yeah. Location won't matter. It's just, it just changes the battlefield. So you found it and it found you. Mm-hmm. Your senior year, did you finish? Yeah, I, I actually finished the year. I don't even know if I ever got my diploma. It wasn't about that at that point. Um, and I was, I, I got out. I went to work in the oil field, and I was, oh, I guess I was nineteen or twenty. The first time I went to prison, and so this isn't jail, county jail. This is prison. No, I went to prison the first time, and. Uh, it was in 97, 96, 97, because my daughter was born while I was in. Mm. And uh, I, they sent me to prison the first time, and I just had a little two-year sentence. Uh, was this for uh, a drug intent to? No, this was, gosh, no, there was there was a lot more behind mm. that. But okay. when they finally ended up, uh, ended up sending me to prison, it was... Oh, I forget what even what the controlling case was, but it was drugs. It's okay. It's, it's just drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I went to prison in 97, and I, I got out, and I'd just done enough time to realize I could do time. What? That's it. I mean, that, that was the mindset where I was at. You know, I was clean for the drugs. But what it did was it showed me that... I could do time. This ain't a bad lifestyle. I got this. Well, it was not so much that it was a wasn't a bad lifestyle. It was livable. Wow. And compared to where I had been at times, you know, it was it was structure. Mm. Mm. And and just a little bit of structure for somebody that needs it. Like I always did good in prison. You know, I, as far as because it was, uh, I had, I knew what I was going to do this time, and I knew what I was going to like. You set a routine. That's mm-hmm. how you did time. But uh, so yeah, so in '97, I, I went and did a little two-year sentence. It took me about a year to do, and I got out on December 23rd of 1997, two days before Christmas. And I was out four years to the day. So for the first year I was out, I was doing the. Uh, supervised probation and I had to go see a parole officer so I would party for a week after seeing her and then for three weeks I would clean up you knew the system oh I had the system down right. like it, and 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 this was part of the attraction to the to the criminal aspect of it was getting away with stuff mm. Mm. like that was more of I think of more of a high than the yes. actual drugs themselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. We did, we did the drugs, you know <laughs> Right. I mean? But it was, it was beating the system. Mm. 
beating the system, beating the system, you know, and uh, and that was in itself an addiction, mm. you know, of just ha ha ha, thumbing your nose at authority. Yeah. It was that spirit of rebellion, rebellion, you know, and it was deep seated, you know, and so I went to prison. I got out, and uh, I made it four years to the day. And uh, the first year, I did my I did my time the way I was supposed to. I got off supervised probation. And it was just, uh, once I was off of that, it was just like the, being a, let loose off the chain. The structure was gone again? Yeah, the structure was gone. Mm-hmm. There was no check. Accountability? There was no check. Mm-hmm. You know, there was mm-hmm. no no weight over my head mm-hmm. other than getting caught. Right. You know, so for three years I run hard. Mm. I mean, run hard and, and sold drugs and beat people up and did all the thug things. Really? You know, it was it was bad. Were you yeah. present in your daughter's life at this time? I was. I, I mean, I still worked. I was working in the oil field. Uh, as far as being present, I was there periodically. You know, and she was little. She was, uh, when I went to prison the second time, she was three, four years old. And uh, it was just, it was full-blown addiction. Mm. It was. It was a place where... I was miserable. I hated myself. I hated everybody around me. I was just consumed by that. But I also didn't know how to stop. You know, it wasn't like I had no clue how to stop. The only thing I did know how to do was self-destruct. If you had known, do you think you would have wanted to? I don't know. I'm Because it... With me, it was always... I had to push it all the way. Mm. If I didn't push it past the limit, I didn't push it. Extreme. You know what I mean? If I didn't, and that was just kind of where I had lived at. You know, if if it was if it was a little bit of dope, we needed to go get more dope. If it was, you know, if we was going to hit a little lick, let's go hit a big lick. You know, it was just something. It was just that increasing level of evilness mm-hmm. of of that darkness in your life, and and the further you go down that rabbit hole, the, the the more it affects you. And uh, it was just, I can remember one night in particular, I had promised my daughter I'd be back. And uh, and I ended up way, I mean, we was living over by Anadarko at that time, and I ended up way over by Lindsay. And, uh, <clears throat> and it was just one of those deals to where I think that was the final point where God was like, okay, Clay, mm. I cannot continue to guard and protect you mm. when you're doing this. And and there was a, it was it, that night I seen a, a thunderstorm come across, and I was way out southeast of or south yeah southeast of Lindsay, and I and I parked on this back road and I'm just watching this storm go through and it just looks like someone's walking, but it's wrapped in the clouds. Mm-hmm. And it was a symbolic thing. I really believe in spirit because my spirit felt a longing there of him walking away and saying, Okay, Clay, you this is you're on your own here. Mm-hmm. I've covered you as far as I can cover mm-hmm. you. You're breaking the heart of, of your daughter. You know, you're you're doing damage here that will take years to undo. Mm. Mm. I didn't know that at the time, of course. Right. You know, but that was, and it was just a, 
it was a dark moment. And from that point, it just continued to go downhill faster and faster and faster. So you didn't have that moment on the side of the road when you saw that storm. You said, okay, I'm going to turn this car around literally and figuratively, and I'm going to go find some help. You just kept running. Didn't know. I didn't know how to ask for help. Mm. That's not something we did growing up. You didn't mm-hmm. ask for help. Mm-hmm. You just handled it, you know. Yeah. And that was the that was the mentality. P.S. That doesn't work to anyone listening. <laughs> no, it's hard. Tell us how that didn't work for yeah, you. <laughs> exactly. It's it's well, you know. I've been to prison twice. Uh, I've lost a lot of years, and it and it took. God moving in that in that relationship to restore the 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 time back for me and my daughter. Mm. Like it took him moving in that, and uh, which is a good thing, yeah. you know. But it's yeah, you can't do it on your own. If we mm. if we could do it on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. You have said the first time you went to jail and the first time you went to prison. So overall, how many times have you been incarcerated at some? level i have as far as prison time goes i've done two stints of prison Uh, one was a two-year sentence took me about an actual a year to do and the other was a 10-year sentence and it was uh it took me seven and a half years to do now i say it took me that it was a non-violent dime what we call a non-violent dime i'm gonna switch into into prison talk here um Dime being 10? Dime being Look at 10. me knowing there a little go. slang. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and just for just for explanation here, when, when you're speaking or when you're listening to a convict talk, he will say stuff like calendars. I did seven and a half calendars. Oh. What that means is he did seven and a half actual years. Mm. Okay, so I, did, I had a 10-year sentence. But it took me seven and a half years to do it. Okay, so when somebody says, "Hey, I did ten years or ten calendars," they have done ten actual years in prison. I didn't know we were going to get a lesson in yeah, prison. There you time. go, right? Okay. <laughs> so the second time I went uh, is when God showed he he was real. Okay. Okay. And that's this is this is where the story really starts. Yeah. So let's get into that moment when God shows up and. Um, he gets real for you. Okay, so it was 2001, Christmas Eve, and I had a warrant out for me. <laughs> and I, uh, of course, I had been strung out. I was, uh, I don't know how long it had been since I'd slept, but it had been a cool minute. And uh, I had a paycheck in the, in the post office at, at Verdon, Oklahoma. And I knew I needed to go get it. Because I needed the money. So let me just hold on for a second for our listener, because it's not just Oklahoma people who listen to this. We, right. You're all over the state of Oklahoma. These aren't just 10-minute away little towns or communities. You're all over the state. Yes. Okay, I, just to clarify. Yeah. So uh, I borrow this girl's car. I'm, I'm hanging out and in, in down uh, in Rush Springs, Oklahoma. It's about 34 minutes from where I'm going to. And I know they know my vehicle. So I talked this girl into let me borrow her car. Now she goes with me. And uh, so I run up here to get this check. Mm-hmm. Well, as soon as I come out of the post office, here they come. Like it was almost, you know, it was a God thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, I'm a dummy. You know what I mean? And I'm not, it's Christmas Eve and I'm not trying to spend Christmas in jail. You know, so I jump in the car and, and away oh. we go. 
you know. So, and this starts a two-county car chase, um, and it started in in Grady County and ended up in Anadarko County. But uh, as this car chase progressed, they uh, they tried to block the road, and I went around it, and I was on an old gravel road, and I was coming up on this intersection, and this guy was pulling out to cross the intersection and, and of course I'm doing 90 and I just fly by him. Is this girl with you? Is the She's in the pasture seat. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, and uh, this guy doesn't realize that there's about 14 yeah. cop cars behind me. Yeah, he just thinks you're a jerk on a so back he, road. Yeah, <laughs> so he jumps in here and he's trying to chase me down. Oh. All right, so it's me, this guy, and then about 14 cop cars behind that, oh you know. Gosh. Well, I jump the car, and when the car lands, it hits so hard that it, it does the auto fuel shut off. So I'm, I'm literally rolling down this, this road, this gravel road, and I can't start the car. It's not going to run. I know I'm fixing to have to get out on foot. Well, it gets down to about 30 miles an hour, and I just yank the emergency brake, and the car slides perfectly to the side of the road like I parked it there, and I just bail like I'm running mm-hmm. on foot. Mm-hmm. And I crossed the road, and I jumped the, the barbed wire fence, and as soon as I jumped the barbed wire fence, I hear the first crash. Well, the guy that was chasing me can't get stopped, and he runs into the back of the car that I was driving. Oh, my gosh. And that car gets sideways in the road, right? <clears throat> of course, the girl is, uh, she's still in the car. Oh, my. I'm still running, you know, so I, I make it maybe another hundred yards and I hear the second crash. Well the first lead police car can't get stopped and he runs into the guy that's halfway across the road. Oh my gosh. Alright, so that gives me the time I need. And I my whole idea is to make a big circle and get back behind them. Mm-hmm. So I run out this way and they know I'm going this one way and I just make a big loop and I cross the road. And about the time I cross the road, I get into this other pasture, and I hear the first helicopter. And they're bringing the helicopter, and the airplane's in, and they're flying grid. And uh, so I had to get real still, and uh, I thought, man, I'm just going to pick one tree, a single tree out here, because they're not going to look at just one tree. They're going to be looking at groups of trees, you know. And I curled up underneath that one tree and about froze to death, mm. <laughs> literally. Mm-hmm. Four and a half hour manhunt. Oh, my gosh. They're bringing the dogs out to... to for the manhunt and that guy runs a stop sign and hits another vehicle <laughs> so so all total there was five vehicles got totaled right two of them were cop cars this is like something out of a movie i made channels four five and nine on christmas eve what? wow yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> not that that's a i'm not excited on, for you for that but <laughs> i'm out here and they they're looking for me for four hours and it's Christmas Eve, and of course I've run probably half a mile, three quarters of a mile, and I've sweated, and I had this leather coat on, and when I had that leather coat on, I shucked it, mm-hmm. and it had a, a whole pocket full of 44 Magnum shells. Mm-hmm. So they think I'm carrying around this hand cannon, oh. you know. <laughs> so they're not taking any chances. Right. You are armed and dangerous in yes, their minds. Yes, and I was. I was, you know. Uh, and I laid out there, and I lost feeling in my hands and my feet and then in my legs and my arms and literally 
all the warmth that I could feel in my body was just in the center part of my body. Mm. And I knew I was dying. And it was a welcome thing. Mm. Like I was to the point where if this is what life is, I don't want it. Mm. I was that far into uh, just being, I was miserable. Mm -hmm. Consumed with hate, you know, it was just, it was demonic. And, uh, but I had a four-year-old and I had a wife at the time and my mom and my grandma had been praying for me and I knew that. And I had lost everything down to just this, just this very center part of my being and I started to pray. And I, I didn't pray for myself. I can't remember praying for myself. Let me rephrase that. I prayed for my kid and I prayed for my wife and I prayed for my mom because they was going to be the ones that was dealing with this. Mm. Like I was done. Yeah. And uh, as I'm praying, I start to get feeling bad. Like warmth starts coming. Like the Lord reaches down and physically saves me. Mm. Miraculously. Like it didn't get warm out there. Mm. And it wasn't like I wasn't a strung out, you know, laying there on the ground. And as I get this, like it, he entered into me. It's the only thing I can say. Mm. And he brought life with him. Mm. But it was, it was a prayer of intercession. Mm Mm-hmm. It was probably, it was a prayer to a God that I needed to be real. And it worked. It worked because he is he real. And he showed me he was real. Uh, well, they had called, they had called the, the manhunt off and they was literally walking the dog back down the middle of the road, going back. And uh, all this time, of course, I'm out here, I'm within probably 400 yards where they're all parked. Mm. And they've been searching for hours. four and a half hours. And the dog hits where I crossed the road and leads them right to me. Right Now, it was God's, like, he says, all right, son. Yeah. You're still going to have to go to time. Right. There's consequences. Consequences. Yeah. But uh, so they get up there, and, of course, I can't move. I'm still I'm still, still frozen. frozen. You know, <laughs> your heart might be warm <laughs> spiritually, but you're still so frozen physically. So they cut the dogs loose on me, and like, you know, I'm not going anywhere. You know, so the dog chewed me up pretty good there, and I can remember they got me cuffed and everything. And and one of the police officers I was over by, they had me by the car, and he's like, he's like, what do you need, or what can I? Do? I said, put me in the car. Like, turn <laughs> the, the heater, heater on. on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. He's like, okay, you know. That's, like, that's crazy that he asked, what do you need? Does that mean that you were not combative? At that point, I knew I was going back. I, and this is the thing, Gina. I knew I was going back to prison long before I went back. And you welcomed it? It was just a thing that I knew was going to happen. Mm. Like, you can't live the style of life. Right. I was going to either end up back in prison or dead. Just a matter of time. Yeah, one of the two. Right. You know, it wasn't a question of if. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And that's where that lifestyle leads. Right. You know. But he did, <laughs> you know, he was just like, I was like, put me in the back of the car. Put me in the back of the car. He's like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, 
so I go to jail. And, uh, and this is where it gets real because I'm in jail again and uh, I haven't had any rest and I lay down and I, I fall asleep and the Lord gives me a dream. And when I say he gives me a dream, it's all in black and white. It's like I'm an a, a observer in this dream and I walk into this house and it's the whole house is just like black and white. And I walk back and it's like he's leading me through the house and I get to this back bedroom and my one of my best friends at the time uh, he's in there shooting up but he can't hit his vein so he's just in there digging on his arm with a needle and the only thing in the whole dream that was in color was the blood running down his arm but he was in a place of torment because he had everything he wanted in life right there and he couldn't get it done and that's a place of torment. I've been there. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it's a place of torment. And uh, I walked out of that room, and, and it's like he led me to the bathroom. And my other friend was in the other, and same thing, same exact situation. The only thing in the, in the dream that was in color was the blood running down his arm. And as I'm walking out of the house, um, I get to the front door, and there's a little table there, and it's got like a little, uh, it's a sucrets box little breath lodgings things and it's got some drugs and some pills and stuff in it and I can remember seeing my hand reach for it and get above it and then pull back and as soon as my hand pulled back I stepped out the front door and I woke up and like when I woke up I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God had spoken to me I just didn't know what he had said Hmm. but it was I mean I woke up and I'm drenched I'm in a cold sweat and I know that is more than just that. some coincidence. You didn't take this no. like this is just a coincidence. No, this, this is like, just detox. This is this was this is a God. message. And mm-hmm. and what was what is neat about that is even over these years, even as as up until two years ago, he still revealed stuff to me out of that. Mm. Like I can remember when I curled up next to that that tree. There was a trap. Like the old, like um, the mechanical traps, the metal traps for like trapping coons or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. There was a trap out there by that tree, and I can remember seeing it. And I don't know why I keyed on that, but I can remember. And I, I can remember laying there looking at that trap, and, and this is what the, the Lord showed me. I'm laying there, and of course it's the pasture and everything's all around me. And as soon as I roll over, I'm looking Jesus right in the face, and he's laying there next to me, waiting for me to turn to him. Mm. And as soon as I turn to him and looked him in the eye, he reveals where I'm at. And he just lifts this curtain up, and it's at the pit of hell and at the bottom. And he's laying there with me, waiting for me to turn to him. With you. Mm. Just, and as soon as I turned, he healed me. Mm. Like literally, physically, spiritually. Now it took a lot to get it out. Mm. You know, it wasn't something that, you know, when you're that far into it, there's a lot, a lot of baggage. So man, I, I get up from this dream and I know God is real. I know He's healed me. He's speaking to me, but I don't know who He is. Mm-hmm. Your knowledge was very minimal. Yes. You know, Jesus loves me. This I know. That's about right. it. Elementary. Right. right. And uh, and there was a man, and his name's Johnny Becker. I'm just curious. 
The Christmas Eve was when you were arrested. Mm-hmm. How many days did this dream? When did this happen? First night. So Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Wow. I mean, like it was. Sorry, I just had to no. go back. I was like, wait, this is Christmas Day. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was like I. They got me in in jail Christmas Eve night. By the time I got there and got booked yeah. in, and I laid down and I went, I woke up Christmas. Wow. I woke up to that, like it was a message from the birth. Ooh, and it was it was scary. Mm. You know, because someone that experiences God, who doesn't know who He is, and you know, it, yeah, I knew the name of Jesus, and yeah, He's died on the cross. We live in the South, like mm-hmm. you said, you mm-hmm. know. But if you don't know Him as Savior. If you don't know him as uh, as the sacrificial lamb, like you don't know him, mm-hmm. period. Mm. That was savior. Like I met my savior that night. From there, it was just I had to know more. You got hungry. Oh yeah. So all of this time, God's pursued you, and now it's your turn to pursue Him. Yes. Because you've accepted Him as your savior. He claimed me, sis. And that's how I that's how I look at it. Because I he claimed me. He claimed me, he showed me he was real. He answered the prayer. He answered in his way. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't in my understanding. Yeah. Now it took years for that to come to fruition, you know, but it was it was Yeah. He just showed me he was real. Mm. So this pastor comes to speak to you? <laughs> this guy's name is Johnny Baker. And uh, he brings Bible, so he used to uh, bring Bible studies into the county jails. And uh, the guy is just, man, the Lord uses him. The Lord used him for years. Like his mansion in heaven is huge. I'm going to hang out at his pool when we get there, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but this guy was so knowledgeable. In the Word, and like he had Bible studies from everything from very elementary stuff to college level, you know. And I just consumed them like, bring me what you got, I gotta know, I gotta know. And I was reading the Word, and and my whole my whole focus early on was find something Johnny couldn't explain to me, really. I poured through scripture and anything I didn't understand, I wrote it down because I was because I wanted to be able to prove that he, you know, something. And what I didn't realize at the time, and this is funny now, I look back at it, as I'm asking Johnny questions, you know, and he's answering by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I didn't get that, mm-hmm. you know, and he just could explain whatever it was. You just know, thought he was a smart guy. Man, I was, no, I was determined to prove him wrong. <laughs> well, and I well, I said really earlier, because I'm like, that goes back to this rebellious yes. clay who's, I'm going to challenge everything. I have to know it's real. And if yeah. I can find fault in it, mm, then it's not, it's not real. real. And that's, and man, and, and like the Lord's like, yeah, you just go ahead and I'll see send you. I'll Yeah, yeah, I'll just send you. He'll be back down here Tuesday. Hold exactly. on, you know. <laughs> what you don't know that you're doing. <laughs> Yeah, and at the whole time I look back on it now and I just laugh because the Lord is just pouring His Scripture into me, you know, and I was just that. consuming it like a sponge, you know, and I'm just and yeah. He, you know, and He, and I'm sitting up here now, you know, now that I know the Lord, right? 
and I could just see him smiling and laughing, yeah. you know, at his child, saying, yeah, yeah go ahead and prove Johnny wrong, <laughs> you know, because I'm I, speaking to Johnny. I like to think that God's like, Clay, you're a sucker. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little something I'm going to tell on myself here. It's childlike faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I pray in my shop. That's where, that's my sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Like, I go down in the mornings, I pray there, I listen to my worship music, I blow my horn, all the things, mm-hmm. you know. We're going to get to the horn in yeah, a little yeah. bit. Hang, so, hang out with us, we're going to yeah. get to the horn. Yeah. So I'm down there the other morning, now I'm, I pace because of all the years of my, in prison. Like, I have my whiteboards, my prayer boards, but I, I walk back and forth in front of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's about 10 to 12 feet, just about what a cell length is. Mm-hmm. And that's when I do my best thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'll pace back and pace back and pace back, of course. And, of course, it's in the shops, so and we got all the crap in there. And uh, I look over one day, and, and this is about a week or so ago, and my son's Razor scooter is up on the shelf. You know, the little mm-hmm. Razor, the mm-hmm. kid's scooter, mm-hmm. right? The little ones that fold up and everything. And the Lord's like, you need to get that out. I'm like, okay. <laughs> At this point, I'm, you know, I'm in my shop. I can do whatever I want down right? here, you know. So, right. So I get this thing out and I knock the dust off of it. And, you know, he's like, take you a couple rounds, rounds around the shop, you know, on this on this kid's toy. And I'm like, okay. okay. You know, I'm bet, bet you know. <laughs> right. I'll make a fool of myself for the Lord, you know. It, it doesn't bother me a bit. So I do that and I'm just kind of giggling, you know. And, and, uh, and I'm thinking, Lord, this is silly. And he and he gave me that scripture of, let the children come to me, because mm. the kingdom belongs such as these. And uh, he he basically said, Clay, I can do more with somebody that has childlike faith mm-hmm. and joy than I can do with some people that have degrees in theology. Mm. Isn't that the truth? And I was and it was just it touched my heart because it was just a moment of of a <laughs> forty seven I mean I'm gonna give you all the visual here. I'm a I'm a forty seven year old man, I'm bald, I got a big old beard, and I'm on a kid's scooter doing laughs around my uh, my shop, you know, praising the Lord. You I know? love it. <laughs> I do too. You know, and and that's just the lifestyle I have now. That's great. You know. So this this pastor is feeding you all oh, the yeah. information. You're getting it all, you're taking it all in. But you still have a sentence to serve. Oh, yeah. How does that progress? What happens? Take us through a little bit of that, and then we'll kind of we'll keep moving on how life, where you, where you are now, this shop while you're playing on your razor. I failed my first test. And I was in, I was in county jail. I'd signed for my time. And uh, we was in a, this was back when they had large tanks. And, uh, man, I was doing the Lord's work in that tank. I was being a light. And I was hearing from him, like I could open a book and he would just speak to me. And uh, when you say you were doing Lord's work, were you sharing what you were learning with others yes. around you? I was in there. I was helping people do their Bible studies. I was, wow. you know, I was getting Bibles for people, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The basic stuff that you can do, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm a doer. Mm-hmm. I had gotten into it with this young man when I first got in there, and. Uh, that separated us out and everything, and, and the tank that I was in, it was a DOC tank. They was we was all going to prison, so they wasn't putting in just your every average Friday night drunks. You know, mm. it was these the people that was in the tank, and uh, 
well, me and a friend of mine, we was up there talking to the guard one day, and he was back there, and, and my friend told him, he says, you know, if you put old boy in here, I'm going to take care of him. You know, basically, he's going to beat him up. And we was all laughing, ha, ha, ha. And, I, and then I opened my mouth, and I gave the devil a foothold, and I said, you know, I said, if you put old kid in here, I'm going to handle that, too. And that guard looked at me, and he says, I may do that because he's a pain in my butt. Mm. You know, and the kid was. He was. He would you know, he just caused trouble no matter what where he was at, and uh, I didn't think nothing about it. I go lay down, and uh, I wake up, and this kid's in the, in this tank, and uh, he's over there trying to drag this old man out of his bunk to steal his bunk. And I set up in my bunk, and my friend was right. He was sitting there waiting. He was just like, he knew something was going to go on. Mm-hmm. And I, I woke up, and I set up, and I seen it. And I knew the Lord didn't want me to do it. And I just invited it all back in. Mm. And I got up there and I beat the kid after death and broke both my hands on his head. And they, oh, they basically come in and drug him out while I was kicking him. And uh, it was a timing issue. Uh, so they drag him out and the very next day they send me to prison. So I go to prison and God has saved me physically. Yeah, I've been baptized. I've, you know, I've learned who Jesus is. I've got the book learning behind Jesus, or a, a elementary book learning of it. And the first time I get tested, I failed it. Mm. And I didn't understand grace. Mm. I mean, I just didn't. The way I looked at it was at that time, and this is the way, this was the deception that Satan had sowed was he did all this for you and you just peed on it. Mm. You know, you can't ask him for nothing. And I, I would open my Bible and it was just like there was, shame was blocking me. So I went to prison failing God and knowing God was real and thinking I had wasted or I had just basically wasted my one shot and the devil used that uh i got to prison and i got to cushing and of course now we're we're not just at a minimum we're at a a medium and and uh the first day we got there it was me and about 10 other 10 other guys coming out of lexington was the first day that that prison had come off a lockdown behind some racial tension Mm. and uh it was, it was, racial tension was high. You could feel it coming on the yard, you know. And uh, the Aryan Brotherhood set the tone. Mm. And those guys, I'm, I'm going to speak about what, what I saw and what appealed to me. They hated authority. And, you know, the, the guards would tell them something and they'd just tell them to get bent. They didn't care. You just went back to 16-year-old Clay that hated authority. Uh, it was that I had failed God. Mm. And I, and you know, you're at that point of where if you fail God, then why not reign in hell? And it wasn't that I was ever racist. You know, I, I never hated anybody for the color of their skin, but I loved the power. And so I prospected, and it didn't take me long. And I put in work, and I... I think at the time there was probably 30-something active members at Cushing, and I got a unanimous vote for my patch. So I patched out in the Aryan Brotherhood. And uh, 
now all this time I was praying, hey, you know, God, keep my family together, you know, and blah, 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 and all this. But I wasn't living the lifestyle of it. Right. You know, I thought I'd failed God, and he, you know, these were just empty prayers. Mm. And uh, so I just let it consume me, and I just went with it. And I did the time when, final, I think the final weight that fell off of my shoulders is when my, my first wife sent me divorce papers. How long had you been in? About a year and a half. Okay. And uh, and she sent me divorce papers, and it was, it was like the weight of the world fell off my shoulder. Not so much that the the marriage was in, ended, but now I could do time how I wanted. Mm. Now I had nothing else. You had to live no for. responsibility. Nothing. Right, nothing. There was nothing. You're, you weren't thinking about your daughter. No, no. I mean, because were you on drugs in prison? Some, um, back and forth. It wasn't ever a. Drugs are so expensive in prison, mm. unless you're the one that's bringing it in. So they are accessible. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes, it's very accessible. There's, you put enough people in there for long enough that have nothing else to do, and they'll figure out a way. Mm. You know, and that's and <laughs> that's part, that's part of it. They're not dumb people. They're just bad choice makers. You know, this <laughs> is. What's funny is the amount of talent. That is locked away in Oklahoma. Seriously. If it could ever be directed in the right way. Yeah. Like, there is so much talent in there. And it's just... I say it, that about the people who hack my bank account. Because you just use your knowledge for good and not evil. Yes. <laughs> and that's, it, you know, and that's the thing is they're there. They're there for a reason. You know, I was there. I was there for a reason. But the intrinsic value doesn't go away Mm-mm. you know they're all children of god they just don't know it yet mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that's and that's kind of way i have to look at it like the boys i minister to in the juvenile system now they don't know no different they don't know another way this is all they know mm-hmm. and the sad part is is that's all their parents know mm-hmm. so it's a cycle mm-hmm. it just repeats itself yeah. it repeats itself and until somebody comes in that says hey look there's a different way yeah and builds relationship with those kids mm-hmm. until they do that you can't speak to them mm. you know you can speak at them and they'll hear you you know but until connected to you mm-hmm. to where you can speak life mm-hmm. you know and tell them there's a different way and it, and it comes but it's a hard fight yeah. on some of them yeah you know um so you're in this Aryan brotherhood mm-hmm. you're in prison Tell me something changes at some point, because I'm 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 about to give up hope on you. <laughs> I'm like, so uh, God, so, come back, please. <laughs> so I'm in the Aryan Brotherhood. I end up getting shipped around quite a bit because you know we're we're a, what they label a security threat group. Shipped around different prison locations. Right, yep. Right. And uh, I ended up uh, going to Connors. I was up in Connors for about six weeks or so in 2005 I believe and got swept and went to the walls um, what does that mean McAllister is the is the maximum security prison in Oklahoma okay uh, it's where H block is it's the supermax it's where death row and all that is and it's a very old facility some of it's newer but it's the maximum security prison. Mm-hmm. It's where they send you when you are a knucklehead. The worst of the worst. Right. Yeah, you don't end up at McAllister unless, you know, you've got a lot of time or you've got, you know, you've got behavioral issues mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I ended up at McAllister. And uh, 
and I was there and and uh, man, it's miserable. And uh, I was up on Four Run, and Four Run was um, his F Cell house. It was a level one run. So what that meant was there was no TVs, no radios. You come off of H Block, like if you stab somebody at another prison or something, or if you was in some kind of racial fight or something, and they sent you to, to McAllister, you would spend a certain amount of time on H Block when you first got there, and then they would house you in, in Four Run for at least a year. It was a level one run. You, it was basically a bunch of knuckleheads. It was just one step out of H block. No air conditioning, old, you know, bricks, and it was miserable. You know, and uh, I was up there for three and a half years. And uh, I was up there for about a, two years and finally made run man. Me and my silly, uh, we was the run man. So for about a year and a half, three times a day, we got out and we made 98 trays, fed, you know, all the way up and down the run. But it got you out of the cell. Right. And it got you a level so you could have the TVs and, you could, you know, the the, the small stuff. But, right. But it was all, you know, it was hood, hood, hood. Mm. Brotherhood, brotherhood, brotherhood. And we was moving dope down there and we was doing this and we was doing that. And, and uh, I did my time. Mm-hmm. And I did it my way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of it, they had to let me go. Mm-hmm. Because once you've done your time, right. they can't hold on. Right, right. <laughs> but they would have loved to hold on to me. Right. You know, like, the last two years I was there, I had zero security points. And you were supposed to have at least 13 security points to even be at a math school. I could, I could have literally been at a halfway house working and making money, and they wouldn't release me from McAllister because of my behavior mm. and because of my gang ties. My mom my stepdad come pick me up. I'm going to tell you this. This is funny. They come and pick me up, and uh, as we was coming back from McAllister, we stopped at Ada to get a steak. Of course, I haven't had a steak in close to eight years. Right. You know, and I sat down in this restaurant, and people were just walking right next to you, and you know, it's just, it's like this is, like this is not what I'm used to in any way, shape, or form. Right. And then the, <laughs> then the little girl, she comes out and she gives me my silverware, and of course it's metal. Oh. And there's about an eight-inch steak knife in there. <laughs> Now, on the natural, as soon as she laid it on the table, I grabbed it, flipped it around, and cuffed it under my arm so nobody could see it. <laughs> and then I looked up, and like the, the little waitress, she's kind of like looking at me, and my mom is over there looking like, what is, I'm like, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this, lady? Why are you trying to get me tricked <laughs> off? You know? That was the point where I realized I was institutionalized. Yeah. Like, I had lived at a, at a level of being hyper-aware yeah. to the point where it had adjusted me to where I couldn't act normal, Mm-mm. you know. And uh, I, <laughs> I laugh at it now, and I tell that story now, but, man, at the time, it was real. You That's know, crazy. it's just like, you know, it's just... And you're one of hundreds of thousands that that happens to daily, that, like you said, yes. that first day out. And, and it's possible that... In Ada, I mean, you know, like you may not have been, you might not have been her first person to do that. Well, like I went to Walmart and I'm sitting there and I'm just getting stuff like underwear and stuff that you don't even think about that you need until you get out and you need all this stuff. And it was, you know, in prison you had white stuff. That was it. Oh, now you can buy colored. Like I'm locked up at the underwear aisle. (laughs) 
and and God bless my mom. I love her to death. She's the sweetest woman in the world. And she's just like, well, here, let's draw this and let's draw this. And I think she finally looked at me and and seen that I was about the wig. Yeah. And she's like, okay, here, I'm going to let you do it for yourself. (laughs) Just going to step away. (laughs) That's great. So when does Clay start living a surrendered life to Christ? Okay, so Clay gets out, and Clay's still brotherhood. Mm. And uh, I'm moving dope. I'm picking up packages and sending it back in. You didn't learn a single lesson? I got better at it. Mm. You know? You didn't I, learn any good good lessons? I got better at it. I learned how to get it in. Mm. But as far as it was, they were family. Yeah. They were family, you know, and they were loyal. I'm going to say this, and this is not to con- condemn the church in any way, but I'm telling you, if men in the church ever get the brotherhood and the love for each other that those guys have, oh, we're going to see revival because men will lead. And it amazes me because they may be united in doing something completely ignorant, but they are united. Yeah. Dedication. And, and they love each other, mm. and they will lay their life down for each other. And mm. you're just like, wow. Why can't we get that as Christians? Amen. Yeah. And uh, so I was loyal, man. I was loyal, and I'd, I'd spend a lot of time, and I'd put in a lot of work, and, you know, I had a lot of good friends in there, and all the reasons, all the reasons. And uh, well, I was laying brick at the time, and uh, I had gotten married. The Lord had brought a wonderful woman into my life, and uh, I got set up. I, they called me from inside said hey swing by and pick this package up and you know I said okay coming home from work swung by and grabbed the package and got about maybe 10 blocks from the house at the time I was living in northwest or on Classen in Oklahoma City and uh and it was a setup man they just run me in the direct now I don't think the guys in, inside knew it was a setup oh okay that's what that was my question was yeah. this a law setup or was this your they run the me into a place that was hot. Gotcha. And and so I get popped. Wow. And I'm looking at 20 to life now mm. because I've got the drug convictions and I've been to prison twice. And like because of the habitual offender law in Oklahoma, I'm looking at minimum of 20 years inside. So I'm planning bad stuff with everybody involved. Like if I'm going back to prison, I'm going back for killing people, not for drugs. Mm. And that was the mentality. And like I was, at the time I had a a son that was just born, but it was just that mentality, that anger, you know, inside of me. And so I'm, I'm literally making the list. And my wife, uh, she was going to a church out here, out of uh, East Oklahoma City, she says, won't you go to church with me? And I can remember thinking, well, it can't hurt. And I think I've said that, you know, well, it can't hurt, you know. <laughs> Sorry to laugh. It is just no, it's a funny it response. Great, you know, it was, you know. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. So I go out there and this, this pastor just preaches to me. I mean, the Lord is just using him. Mm. I got to where I was moving around the sanctuary and I finally just quit doing that and moved up to the front. I told my wife, I'm tired of him having to look for me when he's trying to make a point, you know? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and, and man, that pastor saved some people. Mm. 
he saved me mm-hmm. through through the preaching, but it was God used him. And and it was just like God was like, Okay, son, if you'll if you wanna do this, we can you know, yeah. we can do this. So I'm fighting this case and uh and it's dragging out and we're dragging it out and uh I'm steadfastly being fed by the Lord and I'm going to church and, and things are looking up, but I've still got this weight over my shoulder of, you know, it's coming to an end soon, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I'm praying and, and all this and and the Lord finally gives me Matthew six twenty four. And he, he just basically said, you know, you're going to have to make a choice. You can't serve two masters. Mm. And uh, and this was the cool part about it, was he gave me the time to make it. He gave me that verse. He told me, he says, uh, you're going to have to choose. You know where serving the brotherhood's going to get you, either dead or back in prison forever. Or you can come serve me. Mm. But you, you have to make the decision. It's your decision. And for about six, eight months, I, I struggled with it. Now, I was going to church, and I was going to court. And it was one of those deals to where, like, if I turn my back on the hood and then end up going to prison, that could be a bad thing. Right. Not so much that I was scared of that, but that was one of the mentalities that I had was, was loyalty. Right. You know, I had this loyalty to these guys. Mm-hmm. Whether or not... You know, they was the best for me or not, didn't matter. I was loyal to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave me that verse. And then for about six or eight months, man, I just back and forth and back and forth. And finally, one, one Sunday morning, the pastor, he read Ephesians 1 7. And it's for, he is so rich in grace and mercy that he, that he purchased your freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us of our sins. And when the pastor read that, it broke something off of me. It broke the thought that the loyalty was mine to give. Mm. I had given my loyalty away to somebody, and it wasn't mine to give. It was his. Like, he had already claimed it. Right. It broke that bond. It was what I needed to hear. And I went ahead and covered my patch up. And I go to court a month or so later, and I go to preliminary. And we're all related to the preliminary. And uh, the police officer that pulled me over, he gets up on the stand and lies. <laughs> And my and my lawyer just—he was so smooth. He just tore him apart. At the end of the preliminary hearing, the judge told the district attorney, "He said your case has holes big enough that duct tape can't cover it, mm. but I'm going to go ahead and hold him over for trial." And that day, the district attorney offered me a plea deal: mm-hmm. ten suspended, ten on paper. And like, I am not a fool. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I about broke my hand trying to write it out, <laughs> write my signature out, because I wasn't even—I wasn't even supposed to get that sentence. I wasn't supposed to get that sentence by state law. Yeah. And it was the simple fact that God showed up. Mm. He waited till deception was sowed, and then he come against it, mm. and it opened the door up for his. Mercy and grace to be poured out on me, even though I didn't deserve it. Oh, it's so good. And then, I guess it was last October, I finally finished all my stuff. From the first time I was, since I've been 18, I wasn't doing paper time or parole or some kind of time with DOC. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I even got my voting rights back. <laughs> wow. I haven't voted yet. But, you know, <laughs> but you're going to. <laughs> <laughs> but if I want to, I'm going to. The 10 years on paper, mm-hmm. you've been clean. 
Um, you mentioned a juvenile ministry. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. I do a juvenile ministry, and it was a friend of mine that was actually, we was doing time together, and he got out. He's from Lindsay. Uh, we got out, and he was doing good. And uh, he called me one day, and uh, or he sent me a message or something, said, hey, you know, let's do lunch. I was like, okay. And the night before, I had been at a, uh, a men's group at, a, at one of our pastor's house, and uh, he had asked me, he says, what do you feel like the Lord is leading you in? Where is he leading you to, Clay? And I said, man, I just feel like he's leading me into the juvenile detention centers, you know, like dealing with juvenile delinquents. That was it. That's what I said, you know. And then Wednesday, my friend James calls and said, hey, let's do lunch. I was like, okay. So I sit down with him, and, and as soon as I sit down across the table, one of the first things out of his mouth was, hey, how would you like to go do some ministry work in a boy's home? <laughs> I was like, okay, Lord, I sure, hear you. <laughs> you know, you know, I'll quit. Let go of my arm. You hurt my right, shoulder, you know. exactly. Literally, I spoke the words on Tuesday night. Wednesday, God sent the man. Uh-huh. And Thursday night, I was in the boys' home. Wow. Were you on cloud nine? Oh, yeah. I've done it for 13 years now. Now, I've got a man that does it with me. His name's Steve. And a uh, different church. And he's just faithful. It's rewarding. You know, because there's kids in there that, that I say kids. They're young men from 13 to 19. And you see the Lord get a hold of them. You see them go from strung out or, you know, the gang life to having an understanding that God is real and he's not mad at it. It's mm, so important. Oh, and and it's just, uh, you see them, man. I, we have a Bible ministry. Me and my wife do a Bible ministry for them. And we buy them good study Bibles and we put their names on them. Mm. They're gifts. And the reason we do that was when I was seven... My mom bought me a Bible and put my name on it. I didn't read it till I was 33 years old. But somehow that Bible remained. Went through the, my first marriage, went through two prison sentences, and ended up when I got back out, it was at my mom's house. With your name on it. With my name on it, mm. you know. And uh, and when I started reading it, it actually works, you know. Right. <laughs> when you open it yeah, up yeah, and yeah, read great. the pages. <laughs> it's like Jesus is talking in there, you know. Yeah. But... Uh, and that was just a, that's the seed for that is, you know, my mom sowed that seed in 83 or 84. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take root and didn't start to produce until I was 33 years ago, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, but it produced. And that's what we do now is we we sow seed in these kids and we, we give them something that they haven't had. And a lot of these kids, like, it's it's sad in a way. Is you give them to them in the box, you know, and they take them to the room, and after church they take them to the room and they put them in the box. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that special that they don't get it out of the box, mm-hmm. you know. And they come to church and they bring the box with them. And they mm-hmm. get it, you know, and it's just like, it's theirs. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we do that for uh, Cornerstone Boys Home here in Norman, uh, AJ Couch here in Norman, and then Kojak, which is out of Tecumseh. And it's it's actually the bigger of all three of those. The the other two are small. But Kojak is, a, is the main detention center for juveniles in, in Oklahoma. Do you think you doing that ministry helps hold you accountable also? Absolutely. 
the more you serve, the more you want to serve? If we don't go after them, they're lost. They're already lost. Clay, how do you stay um, armored daily? Prayer, fasting, all the things. Like if you if you're not in the Word, if you're not if you're not connected, like it has to be a connection. Have you ever had a dry season in your prayer life since since the, like the last is it has it been the last ten years? Yeah, there's seasons, and and with me, I think there's seasons that I go through where what once flowed very easily doesn't. Maybe that's prayer. Maybe that's entering into worship. Maybe that's reading. You know, and then there's seasons to where you can't get the Bible out of my hand. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I think during those times when you're struggling with those dry seasons, instead of struggling with the dry part, is asking God, what are you, where mm-hmm. you want me at? Mm-hmm. Because this is not appealing. You know, mm-hmm. and if your desire, if that desire isn't there, there's one thing in doing it out of duty. You know, and you should do your dutiful, your dutiful acts. But it's, it's knowing that you know ultimately, he's not leaving. Mm-hmm. He's here whether I enjoy reading this month or I I can enter into prayer easily this month yeah. or, you know, it's and and this is the thing he has that grace for us. It's not like if I don't you know get up and go pray in the morning that the world's going to come to an end. You know, he has the grace, and that's. That's probably the biggest takeaway from from where I started with God until where I am now is is having a deeper understanding of His grace, and that's a subject where the more you study it, mm-hmm. the bigger it becomes. Because you said in the beginning you didn't understand what grace was. No. What? Tell me what grace is now. Grace is Him knowing I've already messed up before I do it. <laughs> And still loving you. And still loving me. You know, and I tell my, my young men this. You know, when I was out selling drugs and beating people up and robbing and stealing and doing all the things, like God loved me just as much on that day as he does when I'm sitting here telling you about him. Doing what, you know, doing something that's fruitful. Like the amount of love never changed. Mm-hmm. Just now he can I can walk in his blessings now. So what keeps you from not going and doing those things again? Fear of the Lord. Hmm. And that's something, and, and, and when I say fear of the Lord, I'm not talking about being afraid of Him. Once you've tasted Him, like, that would, that's just the exact opposite of what I know He would want. Hmm. You know what I mean? You don't want to disappoint Him. I don't want to disappoint Him, but it's even more than that. It's just like, why would I even think about that? Hmm. So, like, I know yeah. how much better He is than all of that. Yeah. So it has no appeal to me. Now, do I go hang out in drug houses and stuff like that? No, because I'm smart enough to understand that, hey, guard yourself. Yes. Guard yourself. You know, one of the biggest mistakes people people make in, in coming to the Lord early on is is they get saved and they get freed and, and, and they want to reach back and they're not on stable enough ground to pull those people out that they was in with. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what it ends up happening is they end up tripping back up. Mm-hmm. And then the, the devil does the same thing as he did with me. He used that guilt. 
yeah. of you failed, you failed, you failed. You know? when, when do you think that that person would know that they're ready to start giving back to a community that needs them, but you, they don't need to be pulled back into? That moment is is different with each and every it's person. personal. Mm-hmm. It is. It's got to be a personal thing because it's a. It's really like, and this is, and this is what I encourage. Say you've been a drug addict and you're clean now. The Lord has healed you, and you want to go back. Get with somebody that's already doing it. Yeah. You don't have to start something new. Like get with an organization, so number one they can help guard you. And number two, you can be instrumental in it because, you know, that's one of the things with the, the young men that I have is because I've been where they've been, I can talk to them. And I get under them, I get under their radar before they realize it. You know, I have a language with them mm-hmm. that only people who've done time can relate to. Yeah, you've said so many things today that I, <laughs> I wouldn't know. I don't know. I, you've had to define things for me today. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. Like, they... It's not so much like prison slang or terms. It's just the mentality. They recognize the mentality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you see that in these young men. And, you know, it, but that's that's part of it is, is getting if you want and you will be drawn to that. You will be drawn because as soon as you know freedom, true freedom in Christ, mm-hmm. you want everybody around you to know that. You do. You know, and, and that's what it's supposed to be. But it's also, you know, it was also an opportunity if you're not strong enough that the devil will use he prowls and waits yeah well that like the whole time i was in prison i knew god was real i just thought i'd failed him Mm. you know i it wasn't that i didn't think he was real i just didn't think i you know he was i was worthy of him Mm -hmm. and we're not but you know at that point it was a the the guilt was there and the shame was there of failing and that's such a huge weight on people like you get clean, you get healed, Jesus is working in your life, and then you fall back. And it's so hard to get back up. The shame is overwhelming. It is, you know, and and, and it's just, you know, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And, and the best advice I can give people that want to reach back is get some people around you that are solid and have them or join in with them or or just make sure. Like, guard yourself. You know, the Lord says guard your heart. He's not talking about that pumping thing in there. He's talking about who you are. You know, and opening yourself back up to that. You open yourself back up to certain things. You know, just being around the environment. You know, whether that be drug addiction or or spousal abuse or no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's, you open yourself up to it when you go back. Mm -hmm. And and it just needs to be, it needs to be God-led. You know the main thing what would you say to someone in the pits of hell and addiction right now wanting to get out it's not easy Mm -hmm. but it's worth it Mm -hmm. you don't get out in your own strength and people don't understand that you're not going to get out of hell in your own strength you're not going to get out of torment in your own strength Mm -hmm. not torment now you might get out of prison or you might get out of a bad situation but when I'm talking torment, I'm talking on the spiritual level. The internal torment. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get out of that on your own strength. That takes the Lord delivering you from that. You know, that takes the Holy Spirit being inside of you. It's being willing. It's not so much, 
it's not you're not going to do it in your strength it's being willing to let the lord do it through you um like when when i first got out and you know i would meet people they were like clay you've changed and i'm like no i haven't you know what are you talking about the same old you know mm-hmm. and one day the lord that happened and the lord just kind of checked me he says clay you have changed and i've changed you and it's for the better yeah Accept that Except as a compliment, you know, and I was like, man, he has changed me. Yeah. But it was him that did it. It was just me being willing to let him do it. Yeah. If anything I can tell somebody that's deep in addiction is set your heart on willingness because mm. you're not going to have the answers to know how to quit and you're not going to have the every answer every day to know how to keep from going past that drug house or how to keep from calling that number or whatever. It's, but it's being willing to let the Lord work, you know. And if you if you're willing to let Him work, He will show up. Mm. On the flip side of this, as we are loving someone who struggles with addiction, what are the excuses that you've heard, and how do you continue to love them and guide them to Christ? Intercession. Um, That's a big church word, Clay. Intercession. No, it's a, it's a, it's a calling. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing: when you intercede, when you stand in the gap, you're standing in the gap for them. Mm-hmm. Because they don't know there's a gap there. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, as far as what do you do with somebody that's dealing with this, somebody that's in in, in addiction, is first and foremost understand that who they are as a person is being changed the person that you once knew before the addiction their beliefs their character their thoughts their will all those things through addiction gets changed Mm. and you're dealing with somebody that is changed through deception so when you can see the blatant obvious, they can't. Mm. You know, when you can see they're starving themselves to death and they need food, they can't. I don't need food. I'm not even hungry. Mm. You know what I mean? The best thing I can tell people is, is it's a spiritual battle. And that's where it has to be won first. Like if you're not praying and if you're not interceding for this person, they will never become holy without the Holy Spirit. Like, it's, you know, we cannot maintain holiness. We cannot achieve holiness without him. And and a drug addict is the same way. He's not going to achieve cleanness or freedom or whatever without the Holy Spirit moving in his life. And that's what it takes. And it literally takes people being patient and letting the Spirit do the work. You have to set boundaries, you know. Uh, somebody that is deep in addiction, they're going to steal from you. They're going to lie to you. They're going to do all the things. Because the only thing that's important to them is what their flesh is craving. Yeah. Their morals are not important to them anymore. Yeah. Their, their beliefs are not important to them anymore. All those things have been changed. If we understand that, that they can't just be who they used to be because something is inside of them now yeah. that, that needs to be cleansed. Mm. you know and that takes the work of the spirit yeah you know and and that's what it boils down to is number one is prayer if you're if you're not battling for these people uh 
the 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 people that are addicted in prayer like go back and start there it's like, a great place to start <laughs> you know everything that we see manifest in the flesh starts in the spirit whether mm. good or bad mm. so if you want if you want to see a drug addict free you got to pray for freedom in the spirit and sow that seed in spirit so the lord can bring the words you know and uh, and that's really that's it because through prayer, he's going to lead you into the steps that you're you're going to take for the each individual addict. Yeah. If you're in prayer and if you're interceding for an addict, the Lord will tell you what you need to do for that one person. Yeah. You know, because it may be different from, you know, what worked for me wouldn't have worked for somebody else. Right. You know, and that's, and that's it's an individual basis. You know, a lot of it is misunderstood. They're treating something and we're treating the cause of what mm. they're treating. Mm. Like, they're self-medicating for a reason. Mm-hmm. There's trauma there somewhere. Right. We're just dealing with the trauma from the trauma. Yes. And you have to go back and pray to the very first. You know, that's where the healing begins. And through that, like, it's got to be through prayer first and foremost. And then just being patient, but also having an ear for the bullcrap. <laughs> you know what? Use discernment. You know what I mean? I love that. Uh, addicts are the best. Yes. They're the best at telling you exactly what you want to hear. Yeah. To get what they want. And it's and it's a desire of their flesh. So they're good at it. Yeah. You know, and they're gonna you know, and, and it's just manipulation. And it's and that's what you have to you have to understand that, that somebody that is addicted to a drug like that like methamphetamine it's it's a spiritual battle if you can win in the spirit the flesh will follow and that's and that's where the battle has to be won is to to win their spirit you know and uh don't give up Mm, like don't don't give up because you know it takes it takes a mother's love at times I was gonna say, who was interceding on your behalf? Oh, my mom, my mom. I, one of the things, Gina, that I'll carry to my grave <laughs> is the amount of times my mom got patted down to come see me. Mm. You know, and and not that you know she minded, she did it. You know, yeah. but still, just the thought of you know my mom up against the wall getting shook down, and that just like I will carry that to my grave. Wow. And it's a reminder. You know, it's one of those things where. Uh, don't let that happen again. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So like you are so filled with joy. It is. It's like the Lord is good to me. You are so filled with joy. I think it's safe to assume that life has not been easy for you the last ten years, and not everything has been a bed of roses, and every single door has opened. But it's just so easy to see how much joy is in you that even when doors close or opportunities don't come, or maybe a the money's not in the bank because you need it to be, um, you're still filled with joy. And that is such a Jesus joy. And I just pray that you continue to like show that. I I can't imagine that you stand in front of these young men and they can't see that. And I just pray over you that they will continue to want that. And it may not be you that leads them all the way. It's but at seed. some point, yes, at some point, they're going to go, I remember this bald-headed, long, scraggly-bearded <laughs> guy standing in front of me 10 years ago, and I get it now. I get what he was doing. One of the things that I can remember from my time is some of the old-school guys in there, the old-school convicts, trying to speak life to me. 
And there was a there was an in particular guy. His name was Tony McMullen, and uh, some of the old convicts will know. Tony Mac did like 26 years in prison, and he was a knucklehead man. I'm talking big bruiser, you know. And uh, the Lord got a hold of him and flipped Tony Mac mm. on H block. And I'm talking wow. Tony Mac started a ministry and wow. got out of prison. His wife, Candy Mac, still does prison ministry today. Tony Mac passed away a few years back, but uh, his wife still does prison ministry. Wow. And uh, I can remember the first time they let Tony, Tony Mac back into Cushing. And Cushing, actually, the facility had what they call a separatise. All right, so in prison, if you, know, if you like beat somebody up, they'll file what they call a separatise on you. Otherwise, you two inmates can never be into the same prison again, you know. And it, like, you look at people that testified against other people, and you understand right. why, right. you know. So they have these separatees, right? Well, Tony Mack, the facility had a separatees against Tony Mack because he had beat up some of the guards over there. While oh he was my a, goodness! Like, yeah, when he was a convict, you know. So it was a big deal just to let Tony Mack back into the prison to preach. But when he came, what you seen was all these old school convicts come out of their or convicts come out of their cells with their Bibles, and they went down there to hear what Tony Mac had to say, because they knew Tony Mac was real. He was real. He was a real deal. And they knew him from back when he was a knucklehead, and they could look at him now and see the difference. Yeah. And like it was real. And wow. you know, oh yeah, it's like it was a it was a cool thing. I like I still. I use his, he's got a testimonial DVD that I use. I'll, I'll show the kids every once in a while, and it's just an amazing thing, you know. Have you seen some of your former brotherhood or addict friends come to Christ? Yes. Um, I've seen, I see God working in them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain ones. There's uh, Keith, his guy, he was his brother of mine that was straight across from me at one time. Uh, he got out, man. And I don't know if he married a, a Pentecostal woman or whatever, but man, it was great, you know. <laughs> and I and I just he was you know he got out and, and before he got out he had given his life and the Lord had healed him and, and just all kind of stuff in prison. Wow. So when he got out, he moved out right into this, you know. And I, and I don't know if he's still doing. It. I'm sure he is, you know. And uh, but I get phone calls even to this day, awesome. you know, from inside. Hey, how are you? You know, and. It's humbling in a way because God uses me to show those guys in there that it's possible. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. possible. You can get out of here and stay out. Yeah. You know, and, and that's so, so hard to do. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in Oklahoma. Mm. Just, just the recidivism rate in Oklahoma uh, is super duper high. But, hmm. yeah. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> and we've already gone, I think, longer than we had talked about. But yeah. I cannot cannot let you leave here without telling me the story of this horn that you're carrying around in your bag so you walk up to the door and you have your backpack and there's this horn sticking out of it and it's not how long is that thing oh uh, it's about three foot yeah i've got a bigger one at home so like he, i'm, I'm plumb eat it with him he brought props <laughs> yeah and i wish this is when i wish we were doing video so please tell us about the horn the horn come from from a night I spent with the Lord, hmm. and uh, I was at a spot, man. I was I was down in my shop and I was praying, and 
was just at a spot of frustration in my ministry, and, and you know, it's just, I wanted more. I wanted more. You know, if there was more out there, I wanted it. Well, I was, <laughs> I was reading about Elijah and Elisha, mm-hmm. about when Elijah was fixing to be taken up, and Elisha asked for a double portion of his spirit. And I read that, and I thought, man, if that's possible, I want that. <laughs> you know, you know, that's the typical clay. I'll big old bite, and then we'll deal with you know trying to swallow it later. You know, and uh, so I told the Lord, I said, if this is possible, this is what I want. You know, went on about my business, blah blah blah. And man, He showed up and gave it to me. Yeah. And I mean, it was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was there in my shop. And I became aware of a presence so much more than what I was. Mm. And it was literally when he manifested his presence to me, he spoke his name directly into my head. But before he did that, like when I started becoming aware of this holy presence that I was in, like I just fell to my face on the ground because it wasn't that. I felt like that was where I needed to be. That's where it was most comfortable, Mm. was on my face. And I had this thought in my head of, what are you? And before that even formed good, the name Elohim, he spoke directly into my head. Mm. I mean, and it came with the full understanding of the word Elohim. And it, that wasn't something I, you know, I don't... You hadn't been studying this or anything? No, you know, Elohim, what is that? You know, it's an right. Old Testament name of God, right? right? But it's a very specific Old Testament name of God. When he spoke that name with the, that word coming in, come all the understanding that I was in the presence of my Creator, the Holy Spirit. Like, I was in the presence of God himself. himself. And he just poured out love on me. And like poetry come out of that night. And was, I spent probably three or four hours with him that night, just in his presence. And he taught me some stuff and he broke some. I was, uh, I was teaching out of judgment. And he broke that judgmental spirit off. Uh, and I'll explain to that because this is part of the story. My wife was dealing with depression. And I'm just not a depressed person. Like it's not something that I've dealt with. And I'm not, I don't have understanding of it. Mm -hmm. So at the time, she's dealing with depression and, you know, I would come home from work and I'm a doer. It's not a, you know, it's not a big deal to to do things, but I would come home and, you know, she's laying on the couch and dishes were piled up and, Mm. you know, I didn't mind doing them, but it was the fact that I was doing them while she was laying on the couch, you know, and I started judging her in spirit behind it. Mm. Now, I didn't say that, but I was doing it. And uh, one day she finally looked at me and she said, Clay, I'm tired of you judging me. And uh, I said, I never said that. And she said, you don't have to. And at that moment, the Lord, what the Lord revealed to me was what I was doing in spirit, because I was judging her in spirit, was affecting her flesh and making her battle worse Mm -hmm. and harder because I wasn't giving her the compassion and the love that I needed to be given her during this time. I was judging her in spirit. And it was affecting her flesh. It was mm-hmm. affecting her battle. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the Lord brought that understanding, he says, you teach the same way, Clay. He said, people like David, where you've taught about him being unfaithful or Peter failing me, these are spiritual beings and they're alive. 
you're going to stand in front of them one day and you can stand there judging them or you can quit judging them and teach out of the right way. And then he gave me a vision of my first grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Brady. I loved her. Oh gosh, she was a gorgeous woman. She had this long <laughs> first grade. I like I would have charged the gates of hell in my Hulk Hogan underoos with an ice cube for this woman. You hear me? Oh my gosh. He gave me that a vision. the best. Yeah, he gave me a vision of her at story time where she would sit and she would read to all of us. And of course, we were all at her feet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were sad during the sad parts, and we was happy during the happy parts. And he says, this is how I need you to come to my Bible. Yeah. And when you read it, and, the, you know, the people that, that turned away from me and didn't turn back, I still mourn for them people. And the people that did turn towards me, they're standing here with me. And you're going to be amongst them one day. And I was just like, oh. Yeah. And it just opened up this whole new meaning of seeing people where they're at. And being aware of where I am, you know, and I, I can choose to build and edify, and you do that in spirit first. He spoke some things to me that night, mm -hmm. and what he spoke to me was very specific. He, said, he says, I'm sending you out in the spirit of Gabriel to build and edify the army and get ready to blow the horn. I'm like... That's a good word. Let's go. Yeah, like, oh, you know, and the Lord knows me. Like, he knows all he has to do is give me a mission. Yeah. Like, you give me something to do, and I'm You're on. You're a doer. You know, and uh, man, I can't clap in time. I can't sing. <laughs> you know, I've always wanted to play some kind of musical instrument, and, you know, and the Lord just spoke horn over me, you know, so I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> I run down to Mardell's. I get me a horn, you know, while well, I get to the house that evening, and my son's gone for the weekend. And my wife's working nights, and it's just me and the cat. And I don't know how to blow this horn to save my life. Like, it's not holy, the stuff that's coming out at the end of it. When I'm putting it in there, it's not coming out clean. You know? Not a joyful noise unto the Lord. Cat's gone. You know, he's like, I'm out of here, you know. Well, I worked on this thing all night. I mean, I worked on it, I worked on it. I finally got to where I could grab it and blow to it and make a noise. And I was proud of myself, man. I was like, mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, this is going to be good, right? Mm -hmm. And my wife, God love her, she's just precious. She walks in. I'm doing a 12-hour shift at the emergency room, and uh, she's a nurse. And uh, I'm showing her the horn. She's like, oh, that's gorgeous, right? I'm like, yeah, it's beautiful. And she's like, do you mind if I try? And I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead. You know, I'm thinking. <laughs> you know? There's no way she's going to get yeah, it. Man, she grabbed that horn and blew it, and it was just like, it was beautiful. Like, absolutely beautiful. All the angels around the house come to attention. It's like, oh, you know, the heavens <laughs> open, you know, the whole thing. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me, Lord. You finally give me something to do, and I had to learn how to do it for my wife. You yeah. know, and I just see him over there smiling at me, grinning <laughs> and talking about, just keeping you humble, son. You know, just humble pie. <laughs> yeah. It's kosher, correct? Yes. It is the, the, it's a shofar. And it is literally what the Israeli army blew before battles. Like when they marched around Jericho, they marched six days in quiet. And on the seventh day, they blew the horns and y'all shouted. At Mount Sinai, before God came down and gave Moses the, the Ten Commandments, they heard the noise of the trumpet. Mm -hmm. They heard the trumpet blast. It precedes the word of the Lord. Like at the end time, before Jesus comes back, you'll hear the trumpet. Mm -hmm. And that's literally what he's putting out there is it's time and it's getting short. I think that's a perfect time for you to blow the horn. <laughs> Go I for it. <laughs>
My dear friend, I want you to know that this man Jesus my guest spoke of is relentlessly pursuing you at this very moment and longs to love you unconditionally, no matter your story. There's no fancy prayer or special words, just believe, trust, and surrender. We've listed several free resources in the show notes to help you begin your relationship with Jesus and to walk in His truth and love today and for eternity. And to my brothers and sisters, if you already have a relationship with Jesus, then I encourage you to continue to pray for our guests and all who listen to this podcast and to go tell others about a man that changed your life forever.